Thank you, Holy Spirit. We love you. Now, we've been looking at um, a very important series we, we titled Christ the Riches of Our Eternal Forgiveness. And it's been a very long journey. Very, very long journey. And under this series, we we came to a very important subtopic which we call the responsibility of grace. And under the responsibility of grace, we also came to what we call repentance from sin. Now, if you have followed our 42 teachings on this subject, we have made the believer know who he is in Christ in the light of what Christ did. And if you're here for the first time, I advise you can start gently and slowly listening to the teachings from part one because we have laid a very deep foundation. And we are coming to the crooks of this teaching. We established that, number one, there were seven things that Jesus did to our sins. I wish I could skip, but for the purpose of those who are coming here for the first time. We said, number one, Christ forgave all our sins, which we mean past, present, and future sins. This is a reality many find it hard to teach because you're scared that uh, people might think that um, uh, men will take advantage of it. But of course, I believe when you preach the full counsel of the grace of God, men will know who they are, yet will know their boundaries in Christ. We said, number two, Christ removed all our sins. We said, number three, he buried all our sins. Number four, we said, he does not remember our sins. He says, your sins and your lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Number five, we said, he does not count our sins against us. Can a believer sin in the New Testament? Yes, he can. But what happens? God doesn't count it against him. Though the sin has earthly consequences. We have established that already. Number six, we said he was punished for our sins. In other words, Christ suffered for our sins. He faced the eternal punishment of our sins on the cross. And number seven, we said he cleansed us from all our sins. It was part of the very important foundation we dealt with in forgiveness of sins. And the believer must know this because that becomes the fabric of your Christian life. You cannot live for Jesus without knowing what he has done for you. You cannot burn for Jesus without knowing what Jesus has done for you. You cannot know how to serve until you know your liberty in Christ. You cannot live righteously until you know you have been made righteous. You cannot live a holy life until you know that Jesus imparted holiness into your spirit and separated you from this world. Until you know this reality, you lose the requisite armory to fight this war. Praise God. And then we came to a very important teaching on the repentance from sin. And there was an anchor scripture we tied repentance from sin from. And we are looking at this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the verse 20. Very important. Because a lot of times, many people, in the, uh, those who have really come to understand the grace of God or the grace message, tend to think that there is no responsibility on the side of the believer 
especially in repenting and turning away from sin. Now, Paul says that for I fear lest when I come I shall find you such that I shall not find you such as I will, and that I shall be found unto you such as ye would not. Lest there be debates, envies. He starts to mention the things he was scared to come and meet the believers in Corinth do. Wrath, strifes, backbiting, whispering, swelling, tumults. These are fleshly carnal activities that goes on in church even till today. In the next verse, he tells us, Unless when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and that I shall bewail. In other words, I will mourn you guys for this activity, which have sinned already. So though the believer is forgiven, he can still sin against God, of course. And he says, and have not repented. So he says, number one, the believer can sin, but the problem is, will the believer be willing to repent from that sin? So he says, these guys have sinned and have not repented from their uncleanliness, fornication, lasciviousness, which they have committed. So we established that there is a place for repentance or repenting from sin. So I explained to you that there is a difference between forgiveness of sins and repenting from sin. Forgiveness of sin is a divine gift. Repenting from sin is a divine responsibility. We said that forgiveness of sins is a finished work. But repenting from sin is an ongoing unfinished work. Praise God. And that must be done by the believer. You know, we get to a place in understanding God's love and we get to think, okay, no matter what I do, God still loves me. That is true. But the truth is that God loves you the way you are, but does not, his love does not leave you the way you are. This is a very important truth you need to understand. God's love loves you the way you are, but his love does not leave you the way you are. So we established that there are two groups of believers we have to do in the church. We have uh, the legal Christians, then we have the liberal Christians. Who is a legal Christian? A legal Christian is a Christian who thinks that his Christian life and experience all depends on his willpower. So he thinks that he has to serve God by his willpower. I must do a right thing so that I don't go to hell. I must live right so that I'll be called righteous by God. I must give to God so that God will not spare, God will spare me. I must give to God so that God will protect me. I must obey the Ten Commandments in order to be righteous before God. That's a legal Christian. Because he's trying to attain what has been attained. He's trying to do what has been done. So his life will be lived out of stress. So I explained that we live right because we are righteous. We don't live right to become righteous. That's a wrong motivation. When you live right to become righteous, all the strength hangs on you. And guess what? The Bible says, by strength shall no man prevail. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Then we have the liberal Christians. The liberal Christian is the one who says, Christ has done it all. And because I'm saved, I'm waiting for him to also deal with envy for my heart. Naturally. 
I don't have to do anything. Christ will do everything. He will take away sin for my life. Christ will uh, pray for me. Christ will fast for me. Christ will walk away from sin uh, for me. Christ will flee for me. Christ will abstain for me. Christ will run for me. Christ will fight for me. And they remain liberal. Praise God. The believer has a responsibility. I've told you Christianity is not activism. Activism is a self-reliant activity. Which means it is dependent on me. That is a wrong motivation. But neither is Christianity also apathy. What is apathy? God-reliant passivity. In other words, everything is on God. I'm so passive. God will do everything through me. That is a wrong motivation. But rather, Christianity is human effort depending on God. It is human effort depending on God. So, I am willing to obey. I'm willing to walk in the word. Yet, that willingness is dependent solely on God's grace, ability, and power. So, that is how we live the Christian walk. We don't put everything on us. And we don't put everything on God. We walk in the word and trust God's ability to work through us. So Paul says in Philippians 2 the verse 12, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That means the believer has a responsibility of working out his salvation. So you need to, you have to discover the full magnitude of your salvation and walk in it. So that is on you. He says, you work it out. Then the next verse in verse 13 says, it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So the moment you realize that you are living a certain righteous life, you know it's not coming from you. God is saying, don't think it is you. Though you are obeying, that obedience is powered by me. It is sponsored by me. I'm the sponsor. Don't take that glory. So that life keeps us always humble. We are working and striving for perfection, yet our striving depends on the one who perfects us by his spirit. That is how the Christian walk is lived. So I explained to you that you got to understand that you don't be a believer. That is just rejoicing in the fact that you have eternal salvation. Don't be a believer that just only rejoices in the fact that I am eternally forgiven. God does not count my sins against me anymore. True. But that is not our end. Listen. Eternal forgiveness in Christ is not an end. It is a means to an end. Very important. Forgiveness of sins, salvation, righteousness is not an end in itself. It's a means to an end. God never called us to remain in a place of salvation. Salvation became the means to, uh, to a, a much bigger picture. So in Romans chapter 6, the verse 1, the Bible says, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In the verse 2, Paul says, God forbid. How shall we who are dead to sin live any longer in it? Then the next verse goes on to say that as many as were baptized into Christ, it says, Know ye not that as many of you as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into his death. That just like Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we also should walk in the newness of life. Huh? 
So he tells us we died with Christ. That is true. But you don't just rejoice, I'm, I'm dead with Christ. No. He says the purpose of you being raised from the dead is that you will walk in the newness of, the, of life. In other words, we are saved to walk. We are saved for a walk. So you don't just enjoy salvation. You walk in that salvation. So there is a life to live after salvation. In Ephesians chapter 2, the verse 8, Paul says that, For by grace are you saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. He didn't end in the verse 9. He came to verse 10 saying, For we are his workmanship, poema. He says, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So we are made new creations for the purpose of doing good. So why am I forgiven? Forgiveness now becomes a basis, a fabric, and a foundation for me living good. So forgiveness is not an end. It's a means. Salvation is not an end. Salvation is the means to that end. I'm saved unto good works. I'm saved to live a righteous life. I'm empowered with righteousness that I may pursue righteousness. I'm made holy to be holy. I'm made sanctified to live a sanctified life. So that is the end on this earth. As we prepare for eternity. And this is something that must sink in the spirit of the believer so he doesn't just remain at that place of just shouting I'm the righteousness of God there is nothing wrong with that but there is no glory in it in heaven because in heaven God will not congratulate you for shouting that you are the righteousness of God he says thou good and faithful servants so God made you faithful by his finished work yet he expects faithfulness from you by what you do so in eternity, God would not say, Thou righteous saint, who are I sanctified you in Christ. He says, Thou good and faithful servant. So though you are faithful in God's eyes, you must be found faithful. And that is a work. See, Apostle Paul knew all the realities of forgiveness. He, he gave us that armory. But look at Apostle Paul. Look, you, you just check in his epistles. The kind of sufferings he went through despite all this knowledge he had. He was willing not only to live for Jesus but to die for Christ. This is a man who has gone beyond just enjoying salvation. He's a man that came to a place for living for Christ and suffering for Christ. Listen, if a man hasn't come to a place where he willingly decides to suffer for Christ, that man has not yet come to maturity. If a man has not yet come to a place where he's willing to deny his earthly pleasure for the purpose of pleasing God, that man is not yet matured. And guess what? You'll be in heaven, all right, but there's no glory in that appearance. Remember, you're going to stand before Apostle Paul. You're going to stand before Peter, who gave their lives for the gospel. What have you done? Um, I was just rejoicing. I was the righteousness of God. You missed this whole thing. So, Forgiveness, salvation, righteousness is an armory. Is an armory for the believer for his walk. So you don't remain confessing, I'm righteous. No. Move forward, bro. Advance in the pursuit of God. So God gave us this to be an armory. He tells us to put on the helmet of salvation. That means we must be so sure of our salvation. So that in our walk with God, 
In case the devil plays with our mind that you are not saved, because you are armored with a helmet, you tell the devil, devil, I'm saved. You, you got to get out of my mind. I'm eternally saved. So you use that armory in the process of walking and working to deal with the devil and move on. When the devil tries to play with your heart, telling you what you did last week, <laughs> your father in heaven has not forgiven you, then you put on the breastplate of righteousness, saying, I am righteous not because of what I do, I'm righteous because of what Christ did. And what Christ did is my breastplate. Then you move on with work. So in the process, whilst you are working and working for God, when the devil brings something that should uh, twat your assignment, you use those armory of righteousness, forgiveness, to fight and move on. Very important. Now, we didn't know this. We thought, oh, just knowing you are righteous was everything we needed, and we rested there. But we didn't see that in the life of Apostle Paul. We didn't see that in the life of Peter and the rest of the saints. And God is calling us to a higher life. A higher life. A higher life. Praise Jesus. So we looked at repentance from sin. We said the word repent is from the Greek word metanoia. And this word metanoia is from two Greek words. Meta and noos. The word meta means change. The word noos means thinking or mind. So repentance is not first of all change of behavior. Repentance is first of all change of thinking. A lot of times people see repentance as begging God, God, next year will be better. God, it won't happen again. You, you, you got to stop that. It doesn't work. God doesn't work with unserious people. God doesn't work with irresponsible believers. Who just shall Lord, it won't happen again. Yet... Why did you say it won't happen again? What revelation did you stand on? So, until you change your thinking, your behavior cannot change. Very important. So, the word repent in itself, first of all, means change of thinking. How do you change your thinking? The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, be not conformed to the patterns of this world, but be it transformed, metamorphosed. By the renewing of your mind, by the renewing of your mind. So, you got to renew your mind. When you were born again, your spirit was made born again. It was not your body. It was not your soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotion. When you got born again, your soul did not change. Your mind, your will, and your emotions still remain the same. That's how come you can still be lustful after salvation. It's not because you are not saved. It's because you have a wrong understanding of yourself. Until you meet Jesus, you have not met yourself. So through the word of God, Jesus mirrors his identity into your spirit and your spirit transfers that reality into your soul and your soul appreciates it and lifts it through the body. So until the mind of the believer is renewed, that believer, I'm sorry to say, you will never have a quality Christian walk. God can never change your lifestyle outside of God's word. And you've got to listen to this. Until you are committed to God's word, there will be no committed change in your life. I'm telling you this. Until you are committed to God's word, there will be no committed change in your life. I've got to repeat this again. Until you are committed to God's word, there will be no committed change in your life. The Bible calls God's word water. That means God's word refreshes you. 
The Bible calls God's word light. That means God's word leads you. The Bible calls God's word honey. That means God's word sweetens your life. The Bible calls God's word hammer. That means he hammers every evil product in your life. The Bible calls God's word bread. That means it satisfies you. The Bible calls God's word uh, milk. That means it enriches you. So if a believer tries to repent or change a behavior by his own strength, that believer has failed to begin with. So I said repentance is not that sin conscious behavior of begging God and God saying, Lord, last one. It will happen. You, you try me. Try me. Try me for the last time. You See, you have failed. So a believer can only repent by recognizing God's word. He got to come to a recognition and an acknowledgement before he can recover from sin. Stop telling me you will change until you have changed your thinking. So if you have a problem with envy, stop saying, God, God, I don't know why I'm envying. Yes, that's good. You've gone a good step because you have acknowledged that. But now, go to the Bible. Find out every scripture used for envy. Right? See, changing your behavior is work. It is work. Look through the entire Bible. Listen to teachings about envy. Give yourself six months. This week, next week, next three weeks, I'm dealing with envy. You will write down every scripture on envy. You will read it. You will meditate on it. You will memorize it. You will pray with it. You will fast with it. I heard of a man called Dr. Smith Wigglesworth. He was a very great preacher. An evangelist who did so many healings. He was also an apostle. But the problem was that he had a bad temper. Very, very bad temper. And he wanted to end the bad temper. He tried several times. It was not working. He went on a 10-day fast. Only on water. And he started meditating on scriptures about temper. About anger. He looked into those scriptures. Prayed with those scriptures. Guess what? By the 10th day, anger left him permanently. Permanently. See, the man was committed to it. Don't come faking with God. That God, it won't happen. It's fake. Because you have not made any attempt to go to his word to bring that transformation. And it can't work. It's only the word in you that works in you. (laughs) Mm. It's only the word in you that works in you. See, it is what is in you that works. So if you are empty, emptiness works in you. If you are ignorant, ignorance becomes your light. So if you have a problem with last masturbation, go to God's word. We have done teachings on it. Go back to those words. Listen to the message over 10 times. Give yourself to fasting. Say, Jesus, this time I'm in business. It's not that five minutes apology. It's beyond that. See, if you are serious about something, you give time to it. You give time to read. You gaze it. In the night when you are sleeping, you memorize scriptures on last. Then those scriptures become power in your spirit. When lastful thoughts comes, you are already in a prayer mode. You are already in a fasting mode. And fasting helps to tame your flesh. It kills the voice of your flesh. And you meditate, you pray into it. It becomes your force. And you obey that word. 
You will be. If you are unwilling to obey, forget about transformation. Now I'm talking to those, those people who want to be serious with God. These are the people I'm talking to now. So please, God is after quality repentance. Not cheap repentance. And many of you, the understanding of repentance you have, God knows you don't mean it. He knows. But he loves you. So he says, it's okay. He knows you don't mean it. Because if you are serious about change, you give time to change. You feast on it. You meditate on it. You give yourself wholly unto it. That's when you begin to see products. Your heart is the soil. The word is the seed. And that same word is the water. And the Holy Ghost is the germination process. He's the power that brings that germination. So until you have, you have put that seed in you, the Holy Ghost has nothing to do. You forgot the Bible calls the Holy Ghost a helper. If somebody comes into your life to help you, that means he must find you doing something. If you do nothing, the Holy Ghost helps nothing. Thank you, Jesus. So, you need to come to a recognition of what God's word says about that sin and that becomes what aids you in dealing with it. And when, the moment you begin to practice, you realize that if it's about um, bad temper or it's about envy, as you are practicing God's word, you may fail. But that doesn't mean you are failed. The moment you fail, you remember, I'm the righteousness of God. Still, it hasn't changed. Because my righteousness is not like the city prices that change with time and circumstance. My righteousness is a constant person who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. You convince yourself, you go back to it again. And you are working the word. You are working the word. You are walking the word. You are talking the word. It's work. Tell somebody it's work. It's work. So to repent, revelation is key. Write it down. To repent, revelation is key. To repent, revelation is key. To repent, revelation is key. Very important. So get God's word about that habit. It's the first thing. And thank God in LGCC you will find materials that will bless your life. But you must commit to it. I can't change you. But I can help you by giving you God's word. Then you work it out with the Holy Ghost. So you see, One motivation that helps the believer is a certain recognition that Christ is in him. Galatians 2.20 The Bible says, I am crucified with Christ. That means your old man is dead. The powerhouse of sin died. So when the believer says, I can't stop this sin, he is first of all lying to himself. Because the powerhouse that kept you in it is dead. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. He's saying you are not living again. He says... Yet not I, 
So it seems that this is the same body that says, I do to Jesus. He says, nevertheless, I live. Yet, not I. So beyond me, it is not me. He says, but Christ lived in me. Huh? Please, meditate on this. It will transform you. Christ liveth in me. Therefore, he says, and the life which I now live in the flesh, that means it is in this physical realm. He says, I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the life I'm living right now, I am living that life through Christ. In Colossians chapter 3, the verse 3, something amazing is said in the word. And look, he says, for you are dead. Huh? Who is dead? Who is there? Come on, shout it. Who is there? He says, and your life. How can you die and have life? He says, for you are dead. And your new life is hid with Christ in God. Look at the next verse. He says, when Christ, who is your life? Who is your life? And your life is? Please, just give yourself to meditation in this verse. It will change you. Christ is your new life. Question, will Christ envy? Will Christ enjoy sin? Am I helping you? Will Christ be easily angered? Will Christ want watch pornography? Am I helping your motivation? Now, I'm not saying you go to hell. I'm giving you an understanding which brings you into a recognition which brings you into a recovery. So now you know that your life is not you. It is Christ you are living. So whatever you do is Christ doing it. So, you got angry. You are about to, you are about to say something. I mean something. Then you remember it is Christ. Living through this body. Then you are silent. It's okay. Someone insults you. And typically it is not you to be silent. Typically it is not you. The person does this. They say, me, bro, it was just a hand he was moving. You must understand it that way. If someone does this, he's moving his hand. That's how a spiritual man thinks. If someone does this, he's showing you his five fingers. If someone says your mother, he's telling you about your mother. Recognition. No, you can imagine someone does this to a Christian. The person moves his thumb. And you the, a moving thumb moves your patience. Hey. Mindset. Someone says, You are a foolish fool. Question. Are you foolish? No, sir. Are you a fool? So, when you react, who is the fool? No, you see, God's word tells you that 
you have the mind of Christ. You can't be foolish. The Bible says Christ has been made unto us wisdom. When someone says you are foolish, be surprised, be shocked at him. I'm shocked at you. Me foolish. Christ living in me. You move away. It's a realm of recognition. It's what? It's a realm of recognition. You must come there. Tell somebody, come there. Maybe you are the type nobody insults your, your mother. I understand. It's part of your life. When somebody insults your mother, it's a sensitive thing. Just like me, you can't insult my wife. I'll face you squarely. But depending on your size. If I realize you are stronger and thicker and taller than me, I'll pray about it first. Before I reconsider. <laughs> because some attacks can be dangerous. You might be attacked. Maybe. What, what, who, who is insulted? And they showed you the person. You were like... Bros. I didn't know it was you. If I knew, I would have beaten her. <laughs> Say, Father, as you delivered David from Goliath, please deliver me too. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Baby, don't leave me. Anyway. Recognition. So we looked at the second phase of what we call repentance. And we explained that repentance is not only change of thinking or recognition. We said repentance also is a state of remorsefulness and grieve for sin. Repentance is a state of mourning when you grieve God through sin. We call that brokenness before God. I explained to you that, you know, when we got to understand grace, we, we thought the word brokenness was a very carnal word. To say you are broken before God, it sounds cheap. Why can a Christian be broken before God? And I realized it's one of the keys to the making of a believer. We explain in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 from the verse 8 to 12 that Paul, one of Paul's epistles brought godly sorrow to the believer which led to his repentance. So we've got to understand that there are two ways God brings men to repentance. Number one, the goodness of God leads us to repentance. Number two, godly sorrow which is spiritual grievance for sin or brokenness also leads to repentance. He says, for though I made you sorry with a letter, I did not repent. Now, he says, um, though I did repent, for I perceive that the same epistle had made you sorry, though it were bad for a season. Next verse. He says, now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed into repentance. So, godly sorrow has a purpose. I'm not talking of the sorrow you feel that God is going to kill you. No. 
It's the sorrow you experience because you know that God's standard has been set in his word. And when you don't meet that standard, you grieve because God is grieved. That's the kind of sorrow I'm talking about. And every believer must have godly sorrow in his heart. Look at the next verse, the first thing. He says, for godly sorrow worketh repentance. So God does not only use his love to bring you to repentance. There are times you hear teachings of a man of God that will make you feel sorry for yourself. And those teachings can come in the form of rebuke. Even in your personal Bible study, you might be reading a scripture and the Holy Ghost will tell you what you did yesterday was not nice at all. It's very wrong. And I'm ashamed of you because you know who you are and look what you're doing. See, that should break you down that the Holy Ghost has been grieved. You see, this is not for everybody. You see, if you are a careless Christian, this, what I'm saying won't mean anything to you. If you are careless. My Christian life, oh, nothing. Charlie, Jiweni, Jiweni. You know, if you are that kind of believer, this teaching won't bless you. But you cannot remain like this forever. I'm telling you. All the people that remain this way, Jiweni, Jiweni, for, at the age of 45, they started seeking God, but it was too late. You will come back to God. Who are you? You will come back. At least quarter, quarter, 50 years you come. Why don't you start now? Start living for Jesus now. Anyway, that's for another teaching. So godly sorrow, which is also called brokenness. I told you they are flying throughout the scriptures. Look at Psalm 34, the verse 13. Look, he says, for godly sorrow. Uh, oh, okay. He says, come to the verse 16. No, um, 18, 18, sorry. He says, the Lord is now to them that are of a broken heart and saved such that are of a contract spirit. Like I told you, we are using this principle to explain godly sorrow. Godly sorrow is a state of being contract before God. You, you become remorseful. I've explained to you, many have confused condemnation from godly sorrow. So, they, they know too much about no condemnation to now think that when they sin, because God says no condemnation, it means that pretend as if the sin didn't happen. Or don't feel bad for sinning. That's wrong. We send the word condemnation is the Greek word katakrima, which means a sentence or a damnation. So when the Bible says that there is no condemnation, he's saying there is no damnation. God is not going to damn you or sentence you in hell because you are in Christ Jesus. But he never said that rejoice after sin. He never said feel comfortable after you sin. That's an extreme. Because listen, though God forgave us our sins, sin is still sin. Sin grieves God. Sin is contrary to God. Because God is holy and righteous, he cannot sin and he does not sin. So if you have his nature, sin should be allergic to you. So when you find yourself sinning, you must grieve because you are not walking by God's standard. That grievance or that sorrow or that remorse you express for sin is godly. Because God can use that godly sorrow or godly remorse to bring you into repentance. Praise God. So, you, you don't finish doing something that you know is bad or wrong and walk as if nothing happened. 
You know, a lot of people are pretending. They, they walk as if nothing happened. You insult your wife and you didn't feel anything wrong. You were okay. You insult your husband. You didn't say anything wrong. When the Bible says, let no corrupt word proceed out of the, your mouth. But that which edifies, you have gone contrary to God's word. You must mourn in your spirit. Hmm. I did, this one I didn't go well. Godly sorrow is like, God, it's not that you are telling God, God, please forgive me. Then God says, ah, forgive, forgive. You are forgiving. No. It's a certain recognition. When you realize you are wrong and you approach God and tell him, Lord, as an ambassador of heaven, I did not represent you on earth well. I lost my temper, Lord, I'm sorry. I trust you to walk in God's word. That's a broken man. He recognized what he did was wrong. So, he did not ignore the fact that he had sinned because he is forgiven. No! He did not ignore the sensations of the Holy Spirit in bringing him conviction. There are many believers, I've told you, see, you can mute the voice of the Spirit in your life when you keep ignoring the Holy Ghost. Of course, many believers don't even know the Holy Ghost. They say, something told me. Something told me to cross. And I cross. Immediately, something fell. You see, they don't even know the Holy Ghost. When you do something wrong, there is a certain strong edge that you begin to feel. A certain discomfort. You lose a certain joy in your heart. You can't explain it, but you know it. It is the Holy Ghost working in you. He is prompting you that something you did was wrong. The moment he prompts you, you must grieve it. Immediately. See, I'm bringing you to a place of maturity. Because the mature man already knows who he is in Christ. Yet he knows his boundaries in Christ. He knows he's forgiven, but he does not take God's grace for granted. That's a matured man. Am I teaching good here? So we define the word brokenness or godly sorrow. We said brokenness is a state of complete surrender to God. You own up and say, God, I did it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's like a divine apology, yet you know you are forgiving. Number two, we said brokenness is a recognition of your imperfection and inadequacy outside of God's mercy. So the moment you fail in God's word, you recognize it. You don't ignore it or pretend it was not there or it never happened. And many people don't even know sin. Envy is a sin. To want to have something someone has is envy and covetousness. If you want someone's husband, it is covetousness. If you are jealous of someone's glory and fame, if someone is being acknowledged over you, where you are, you and the same person is on the same realm, you are becoming jealous. When you think you are better, let's say two singers are being graded, and one, one is giving more accolades than the other. The other begins to feel threatened and intimidated. It is a wrong spirit. It's called envy and jealousy. You want the recognition the person has. Or you want the glory that the person has. Your colleague was promoted. 
and you thought you worked better than that colleague, yet he was promoted. Why don't you still move on in the work by giving him some very good congratulations? Yet you, you just frowned your face that he did not deserve it. Yes, grace is what we don't deserve. And you are angry. It is envy and jealousy. Bro, deal with it now. How? The Holy Ghost will tell you envy, it is not good. It is contrary to you. The Bible tells us to esteem others better than ourselves. So you quickly kill that feeling and say, Lord, I don't know why, but I'm envying Pastor Sikapa. I don't know. Lord, you, you know my heart. You know my heart. I don't want to feel this way, Lord. But I realize that I'm having bitterness uh, against Pastor Sikapa because of his promotion. See, you must be playing with God. That is a broken man. Tell him that you are envious. You know the number of times I've prayed telling God that people are jealous and the people are envy. You have no idea. Sometimes when people hurt me, I have to tell Jesus in prayer. Prayer is not just starting. No, it's not always like that. There are times you stay in the quietness of your heart. Say, God, bitterness is hurting me now. I can't read the Bible again. I just hurt my wife. And it's affecting my Bible reading. Lord, please help me. That's a broken man. He's giving space for the Holy Ghost to feel to change his life. So he's not walking as if he doesn't know what is going on. Your heart will soon be hardened. And soon when the Lord speaks, you won't hear. When the word of God rebukes you, you, you will take it as a normal thing now. And it will be too late for you. I'm helping somebody. The moment the Holy Ghost draws your attention through the teaching of a man of God, through a Bible study, don't just treat it as something that is not trivial. Treat it as trivial. Kneel down. Lift up your hands. If possible, cry to God. You are not saying, God, please have mercy. No. You are acknowledging that weakness or that habit. Am I helping? Oh. So we also said that brokenness is a technology God designed in man to kill pride and arrogance by making him submit to his discipline. So God uses brokenness to kill pride in you. When you do something wrong, you don't pretend. You're like, oh, I'm still the righteous of God. That's pride. We also said that brokenness is an immediate humble response in recognition and admission to an action that displeases God. It's an immediate response. Sometimes you may not know that what you did was sinful, but maybe you might hear a preacher on radio preaching and he said that thing and you were like, oh, so what I did three days ago was wrong. No, quickly, quickly say, Holy Spirit, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, please. I didn't know. I'm sorry, Lord. You are, you are powerful. I'm telling you. You are powerful. You are giving, see, you are giving more way. You are opening your ears more for the Holy Ghost to go further in bringing you into maturity. I'm telling you. Maybe you may be a boss and you insulted one of your employees. And the Holy Ghost drew your attention that what you did was wrong. Hey, don't say I am a boss. 
if you are a boss, there is a higher boss. So when the higher boss tells you it's wrong, go to the lower employee and apologize. That's a broken man. Don't go and go and say, you know I insulted you, right? <laughs> sorry. That's, no, no, no. You were not sorry. You were pretending to be sorry. There was a, there's a certain sorriness that people can agree with and know that you are truly sorry. I'm telling you. And when people are sensitive to the Holy Ghost like this, you realize that your heart is always at peace. I am somebody who can preach well when my heart is not at peace with God. I'm not good at it. I, I can't fight with my wife and preach. It's not possible. I must solve it there before I hold the microphone. If not, I can't preach. I can't pray. I can't read the Bible. That's how, I've, that's how far I've developed my sensitivity to the promptings of the Holy Ghost. I can't read the Bible. I can't. I can't hold this mic. I'm telling you, God knows the sincerity of my heart. I can't hold this mic to preach. If I have a problem with my wife, we'll solve it. I'm telling you. He can't permit me to do it. We said brokenness is an inbuilt sense of accountability that God places in the believer to make him detect what is wrong and immediately walks, uh, the moment he walks below God's standard or outside of God's word or misses the mark. It's a sense of accountability. You cannot ignore your conscience when the Holy Ghost speaks through the voice of your conscience. No, you can't ignore it. Please, you can't, you can't ignore it. There are many of you, your conscience is gradually dying. You know why? Because all the things the Lord is saying through the teachings you hear, all the things the Lord is saying through your morning devotion, all the things the Lord is saying through the radio you have been listening every morning, all the things the Spirit of God is saying within your heart that you are ignoring, you are soon deadening your conscience. You are numbing your conscience. A time is going to come when the Lord speaks, you can't hear because your conscience is far away from Him. It's far. He can't prompt you when you sin again. Because all the measures he can use, you have disobeyed all of them. Please don't get to that state. Your life will be miserable, especially if you want to walk with God. And I've told you, repentance without brokenness is not effective. Changing your thinking begins in the mind. Brokenness begins from the heart. It takes God's word to change your thinking. It takes God's spirit to grieve your heart when you sin. So brokenness is a work of the spirit. Changing your thinking is a work of the word. So the Holy Ghost will use the word in your mind to bring your heart to a certain attention. And that tension must break you down. We are not broken because we are begging for God's mercy. We are broken because what breaks God's heart must break our heart. What grieves God must grieve us. Must grieve us. What displeases God must affect our heart. Today I'm awakening your spirit. I'm awakening your heart to be sensitive when you hurt God. 
Hallelujah. I want to give you examples of brokenness. The first example of brokenness, number one, is David. David was a great king. I don't want to go into this deeply. David was a great king. Very powerful king of Israel. He had always been fighting battles and one day he decided to stay home. And whilst he was on his rooftop, he saw a naked woman having a bath. And his last fullness arose. Called the lady in. And he was warned beforehand that this is the wife of Uriah. And he still went in, slept with her and impregnated her. To cover the sin, he actually gave a letter. In fact, it was the death warrant or the death report of the man who was carrying the letter. And that shows you how loyal this guy was because he didn't read the letter. If he read the letter, he wouldn't go to the battle. This guy was so loyal to David, yet David killed him. And he gave the letter to Joab that they should take him to the middle of the battle where it is fierce. And this guy was taken there. Uriah was killed. He killed someone's husband. Slept. So that's murder. So he broke one of the laws. Number two, he bore a false witness. Number three, he committed adultery. Number four, he coveted someone's wife. I'm, I'm quoting all the Ten Commandments. And the rest of the five commandments, he did not love his neighbor as himself. <laughs> because on this, all the law hangs. So David technically broke all the law. I'm using David and the law because during David's time, it was law. And the prophet Nathan came and gave him a parable that a man was having a sheep. Blah, blah, blah. And there was a man who had many, 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 many sheep and all that. And then he saw the sheep of the man. He envied him and he killed the man. David rose. What? That man must be killed instantaneously. Immediately and immediately. At once by force. And Nathan said, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know that man? <laughs> it be you. <laughs> I, I thought David was going to say, me. Mind you, David, though, was under the law. He lived by grace. David was one of the prophets who lived by grace. I can prove to you several times. He was, number one, a man after God's own heart. So God did not deal with David by the standards of the law. You can go and check. David go, went to eat bread from the temple. It was for only priests. He ate that bread and he was alive. Any, see, anybody who goes to eat bread who is not a priest will be killed instantly. David ate the bread. Nothing happened to him. The royal priestly apparel, which was called the effort, was supposed to be worn by a priest to make sacrifices. Can you imagine David wore that garment of a priest when he was not even from the tribe of Levi? He was from Judah and he wore the garment and offered sacrifices to God. Nothing happened to him. Saul went to offer sacrifice before the time. He lost his kinship. No wonder David was the best picture of Jesus Christ because David was king, Christ is king. David was priest, Christ is priest. David was from Judah, Christ was born from Judah. David's kingdom reigned forever. The kingship of Jesus reigns forever. David was betrayed by Ahithophel. Christ was betrayed by Judas. So, I thought David was going to 
try to uh, pretend as if nothing happened. Look at David. Second Samuel chapter 12, the verse 7. When David was told, you are the one, you can go and read the full story at home. And Nathan said to David, thou art the man. Thus said the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. Look, he says, and I give thee thy master's house and thy master's wife. So David was having plenty wives into thy bosom. Give thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had not been enough, in other words, if it had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. God says, see, if you even wanted more, I would have given you more. Look at the next verse. God has a way of... <laughs> Whereof or wherefore has thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and has taken his wife to be thy wife and has slain him with the sword of the children of Amnon. Look. Now therefore will the sword never depart from thine house because thou hast despised me and thou hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Now, when a man commits murder, he's not the only one who is killed. When you commit a certain level of sin, according to the law, you and your entire family will be killed. Look at the next verse. He says, Thou said the Lord, I will raise up evil against thee out of thy own house. I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them to thy neighbor and he will lie with thy wives in the sight of this in the sun. Look at the next verse. For thou did it secretly, but I'll do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. Next verse. And David said to Nathan, look, this is where the brokenness comes in. He says, I have sinned an acknowledgement and recognition of his weakness. I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, look, the Lord has put away thy sin. This is only something used in the New Testament. <laughs> Thou shalt not die. This guy was supposed to die because he broke all the Ten Commandments. He was not only supposed to die, he was supposed to rot. <laughs> and they will gather his bones also and crush his bones because the guys, he has committed everything. And God says, I have put away your sin. This is a recognition only in the New Testament of grace. And David experienced grace. Have you seen this thing? But look, look at the next verse. So, so the verse 12 is my main key. David acknowledged in brokenness the Lord admitted. He never had it himself. See, you know you are already forgiven. But God wants you to acknowledge every weakness that you display. He wants you to acknowledge it. Don't pretend it never existed. It's too dangerous. You told a small lie, the Holy Ghost said, it's a lie. He said, Lord, I'm sorry I lied. Don't say, oh, there are smaller lies and bigger lies. So this one, it was just a small lie. This lie does not kill anybody. You can mature in the lie. Oh. <laughs> you can mature. That small lie can become an international lie. Oh. It's a local lie, but give it two years, it becomes international. If you don't acknowledge it now, soon you go to the next step. And you see, it will shock you to know that one sin that is not dealt with will open another door. 
So now soon lying will turn into stealing. Am I teaching good? Let's look at the next. Nineveh was a second example of brokenness. Look at Jonah chapter 3, the verse 4. Jonah went to the town to tell them that in 40 days, the judgment of God is coming on you. This was a gentile nation. They could have said, Jonah, get out of here. If not, we will kill you. Do you know who our God is? That would be pride. Many Christians are like that. Look, and Jonah began to enter the city in the day's journey, and he cried and said, give it to me in NLT. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Look at the next verse. It says, Nineveh shall be destroyed. Look. The people of Nineveh believed whose message? God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on a bullock to show their sorrow. Hey! They first believed God's message. So, to, you see, before you grieve, you are grieving with understanding. You have God's message. And because you believe in God's message, that message breaks you down. Look. Look at the next verse. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne. The whole king stepped down. And took off his royal robes. Hey! He dressed himself in that sackcloth and sat on the heap of ashes. Now, you see, those days, when a man wears sackcloth and puts his ashes on himself, he has come to the lowest plane of humility. To wear sackcloth is to be so humble because sackcloth was the cheapest of all the clothes in Israel or in the olden days. So when a man wears sackcloth, he has debased himself to the lowest. Then they put ashes on themselves. Now, when something is burnt to ashes, that means I've been brought to the lowest plane. So when you pour ashes on yourself, you are saying you have been brought to the lowest plane. You are so humble that you have gone down. And that's what Nineveh did, starting from the king. Look at the next verse. He says, then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even animals, from your heads and flock, may eat or drink at all. Every animal was fasting that day. Just to let God see how sorry they are. Now, Free the animal. The animals fasted. Next verse. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning. <laughs> and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Look at the next verse. Who can tell? Perhaps. Yours is knowledge. I know. These people say, who can tell? Perhaps yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. Next verse. And the Bible says, and God saw that they had what they had done and how they put a stop to their evil ways. He changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Now, this is not saying that in the New Testament, we have a better covenant based on better promises. So it's not that when you say God is going to kill you. No. But the principle here was a principle of brokenness. They did not celebrate the sin. They mourned that activity. Am I teaching good here? Number three, Peter. 
we got to understand that Jesus told Peter that Peter before the cock will crow twice, you'll betray me three times. And Peter said, Master, me. <laughs> you don't understand this thing, Master. You don't understand this, this thing. I've worked with you for three years. Do I look like a betrayer? Master, everybody go betray you, but me, I will stand for you. I will stay with you. I will live for you. He even demonstrated by cutting off someone's ears. He said, Master, I told you, my chop you'll be. My chop you'll be. Just to prove to you. <laughs> and a very little girl, small girl, not a big girl, not an old woman, small girl, saw him. He said, Ah, Peter, my Then he said, Pacho, Mumra, Mumra, me who criminal be Hawaii. Because Peter, this is Peter. He was part of the disciples. And Peter said, Come to me. I call a pony. Have you seen me before? I don't even know this man you're talking about. I've never met him before. Fioko! Do I look like part of the disciples? Me, disciple. Disciple of what? Not once. Not twice. Three times. And Peter heard. And Peter remembered the saying. Ah, I've broken the heart of my master. Mind you, Peter walked with Jesus. He knew Jesus won't punish him. He knew Jesus won't come and say, Peter, eh, I'll be back. <laughs> he knew that Jesus loved him. But guess what? The Bible says, and Peter went out and wept bitterly that he had betrayed his master. Hey! See, many of us have betrayed Jesus in several ways. Don't blame Peter. Yours is even worse. Many of us. And Peter wept, yet he knew all the love Jesus has for him. He knew. Yet he wept bitterly. He grieved that activity of betrayal. Listen, anytime you realize you have gone contrary to God's word, it's a betrayal against his word. Sorry about that betrayal. Sorry about it. Grieve it. You don't have to necessarily cry, but it's an acknowledgement. In your mind, you recognize that this is wrong. And quickly humble yourself. This thing will change so many people sitting here. I'm telling you. You may not stop immediately, but that recognition becomes a seed. Because number one, you are beginning to recognize it's wrong, and because it grieves God, it's now grieving you. That is a seed. It's a seed. Don't cast it away. It's a seed. It's a seed. Listen, most of the time we know that God's love loves us forever. He won't punish us. He won't kill us. He won't condemn us in hell. Yet, we fear to take his grace for granted. That's maturity. That's maturity. We are in holy reverence to take his grace for granted. Give a child a cake. He will eat and get satisfied and scatter the rest. Give an adult a cake. He will cut it and put the rest in the fridge. Difference. He does not waste. Children waste the grace of God. Adults preserve it. 
I'm telling you, it was a gift for your birthday. But you cut it, you put the rest in the fridge. Give a birthday gift to a child, cake. He will eat the rest, scatter the rest. So adults know who they are, yet they know their boundary. Number five, the Apostle Paul. And this may shock you. The Apostle Paul was a broken man. He was a broken man. He was a broken man. And this Paul I'm talking about knew he was forgiven. He knew he he was righteous. He knew all these things. Yet he expressed tidbits of brokenness in some of his epistles. Listen, those times I never understood why Paul would write what he wrote. But later when I understood brokenness, I understood why Paul was writing that. Now, look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. This will bless you. Look, he says, to me, who am less than the least of all the saints? Did it seem like Apostle Paul was the least? In fact, he was the top because he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Yet, in acknowledgement, he saw the apostles as better. You know why? Because he thought that he killed too many Christians. So he didn't want to see himself as the best. He says, I am the least of all the saints. It was that thought process. I'll confirm that scripture again. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Look, he says, And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. Look, he says, Who was before a blasphemer, a persecutor, an injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it in unbelief. Next verse. He says, and the grace of God was exceeding and abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Uh This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save what? Sinners of whom I am chief. I I thought Apostle Paul is the righteousness of God in Christ. Yet he says, I'm chief. You know what he was expressing? Brokenness. He started by saying, I, I, I was injurious. I damaged Christians. I killed them. Anytime he remembers that, it breaks him down. So it affected portions of his epistle. So he says, Christ came to save sinners. Of whom I'm a chief. I'm a chief sinner. Not because he was a sinner, but it was an expression of how broken he was before God. Number six. The guy who was sleeping with his stepmom. Many of you have not heard that. First Corinthians chapter five, the verse one. Look, this was the apostle of grace talking. So in case you think you know better about grace, let's listen to him. He says, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you and such fornication is not as much as is named among Gentiles. That one should have his father's wife. Paul is saying, this act of fornication I'm talking about is a fornication even unbelievers will not think of doing. That a person will be sleeping with his stepmom. And guess what? The guy was proudly sleeping with his stepmom. And they came to church together. And I'm to Can you imagine? And they reported the, the thing to uh, Paul. Look. Look at the next verse. 
And look, and you, the Corinthian church, you are proud about this. And have not rather what? This is key. Have not what? Mourned. What is Paul talking about here? Brokenness and godly sorrow. You have not mourned this activity. He's saying that seeing a believer like this is so detestable before God and his word that you must mourn that this guy is doing it. Yet the Corinthian church were encouraging this guy. He said, hey, don't mind the pastor. You are the one he's preaching about. Don't mind him. Carry on. We all make mistakes. That's what Paul is saying. Look, he says that he had done this deed might be taken away from amongst you. This is Paul the Apostle of Grace. He says, take this guy away from amongst you. That means don't include him in church fellowship because he's committing incest and it's not that he did it once and he regretted. That's not what Paul is talking about. There are people who commit one act of sin and, and they, they just get broken and they, they come back into restoration. That's not what Paul is talking about. He's talking about someone who is enjoying the thing and is proud and does not feel sorry. He says, you have not taken this thing out. So there are disciplinary measures for those who habitually love to do detestable things before God. I didn't say that. This is the apostle of grace talking. You might think apostle Paul does not have love. See, the Bible says, open rebuke is better than hidden love. So love is not always smiley. Love is not always smiley. There is rebuke and discipline in love. When we were kids, our parents sometimes beat us mercilessly. We did not understand. We thought they were wicked. It was an act of love. Because they want you to be a better person. Look at the next verse. Paul says, for, verily I, for I verily, as absent in the body, but present in spirit, have judged already. Look. As though I were present. So God, uh, Paul judged it. Paul judged that matter. And he says... As though I were present concerning him that has done this deed. Look at the next verse. He says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together, and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh -huh. He says, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it may seem as though Paul is saying that, uh, deliver him, give him to Satan for Satan to kill him. No. It's a figurative expression. To deliver someone to Satan means to excommunicate him from fellowship. Now, when a believer is excommunicated from fellowshipping with other believers, what happens is that his life is as though he has been given to Satan. So he used an idiomatic expression. So the word deliver to Satan is not give him to Satan. Satan cannot be, God cannot hand you over to Satan. If he wants to discipline you, he has his own way of disciplining you. He can't hand his children over to Satan. No. But he's saying, take this guy out of fellowship. Excommunicate him. And that excommunication, you see, a lot of people do excommunication in churches, and it's very hypocritical. They excommunicate him. Nobody talks to him. When someone is coming, and they come and say, mm. hmm. That is not what Paul is teaching. The purpose of this excommunication was to purge that behavior. It was not to make an enemy of him. I heard of a man of God who had uh, one uh, leader in the ministry who had a problem and I, I can't share it. And it was terrible and this guy was excommunicated. He was relegated of that position and then he was placed at the back. But you know what the pastor did? Every single day, he would visit him at home. 
and share the word with him. Pray with him. Share fellowship with him. Let him know that he loves or you love him. But the ones we have today. Whoa. They'll present you before the whole church. Wait. Open your mind. Now, I'm sorry, no. Meanwhile, the daughter has been pregnated before and he has committed abortion. That is not spiritual. I'm telling you. It can rather destroy that soul rather than purging that soul. Because whatever activity that is not done in love is fleshly and the devil can capitalize on that to destroy that person. And look. Next verse. Paul tells us. He says your glory is not good. So why Paul said that was not because he was an enemy. But they were glowing about this situation. He says, your glowing is not good. Know ye not that little living, living at the whole lamb. In other words, if we don't take care of this, it will spread. And soon, since nothing was done, everybody will think that it's okay to do it. Have you seen this thing? Look at the next verse. He says, patch out the old living that ye may be a new lamp as ye are unliving. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Now look at the next verse. He says, therefore, let us keep the feast. What feast is that? Passover. During Passover, they were supposed to go to their houses and take away living from the house. Because we're going to eat on living bread. You are not supposed to put any living in your house. Living signifies sin. That means that if Christ is our Passover, he's saying we are supposed to remove sin from our lives. So he says there is a way of keeping the feast. He says, with no old living, neither with the living of malice and wickedness, but with the unliving bread of sincerity and truth. Look at the next verse. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. Now look, look at the next verse. He says, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, nor with the fornicate, nor with the covetous, nor extortioners, nor idolaters, for then you must go out of the world. He's saying that be careful associating with people who enjoy fornication. Not one who did it once and a mistake happened. No. But the one who has enjoyed it, he cracked jokes with it. Charlie, I go fire this girl. At time, I'm, I give him 25th December. I go finish him. That's the one the Bible is talking about. He said, don't company with this guy. He will ask you, see, he will destroy your life. Not that man. Who comes to church not because he wants Jesus. He comes to church because he has timed a certain girl and they, they have bet. They have done super bet. That man is an evil man. You are a wicked believer if you have that mentality. Because the one you want, to, you, you want to temper with, to sleep with that person, is your sister in Christ. Have you forgotten? And it's God's daughter. Be careful. It's God's daughter. Even the wife you are living with, you must understand that before she became your wife, she was God's daughter. That means she's your sister before she became your wife. So the way you treat your sister, treat your wife that way. Look, look at the next verse. He says, but now I've written to you not to keep company. If a man is called a brother, be a fornicator. So he didn't say he made a mistake. He says a fornicator, who is a driver? One who drives. Who is a chef? One who cooks. Who is a banker? One who banks. Who is a fornicator? One who prepares himself to fornicate. 
It is his ministry. <laughs> so he said, that guy, be careful. Are you seeing what I'm talking about? He says, but now, uh, look at, he says, uh-huh. I've written to you not to keep company. If a man is called a brother, this is a Christian. Be a fornicator, covetous. That means he's greedy. Everything he sees about somebody, he wants it. If you stay around people like that, it will affect you. Don't be around covetous, greedy people. He didn't say don't talk to them. He said know your level. Know your limit with them. Because that spirit can affect you. Because remember, the verses before, he says, don't you know that a little living, living is the whole lamp. That means when something is not, when one behavior is not treated, it will affect every believer around. Then he says, or an idolater, one who lifts other things above God. Then he says, a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such a one, do not even eat with him. If your best friend is a drunkard, two times in a week, he drinks alcohol and you boast about it. He says, be careful. He didn't say be his enemy. I didn't say that. He's saying, don't even eat with that guy. He's telling you that. Be careful with that association. Oh, we are just friends. See, something is rubbing on you without knowing. Wrong anointing is contagious. Just like right anointing is contagious. Righteousness is contagious. Just like sin is also contagious. That's like we can follow a, a friend so before you realize you are in church. In the same way, you can also follow a friend before you realize you are in the world. It's contagious. Look, he says, for what do I have to judge them that are without? Do ye, do, do ye not judge them that are within? Uh-huh. Then he says, but them that are without God, God judge it. Therefore, put away from your midst that what? He calls that guy a wicked person. In other words, a guy or a lady or both of them who enjoy that act of covetousness, fornication, the Bible calls them what? Wicked people. Now, what is Paul saying? Paul is saying, number one, don't be proud about your believing friend or sister or your believing partner who engages in sin as a practice and enjoys it. There are some of you, your roommates and your friends. You, you, it's like you are sisters. And she tell you that, oh, city, tell me, come a boy home for weekend night stay, Friday night. Oh. And she told you, or crowd, say, oh, sister, okay, all the best. <laughs> all the best. <laughs> Going for weekend stay, pack two weeks back. All the best. You are wicked. That's what Paul is saying. Because you know what you are doing? You are encouraging it. You are saying, oh, it's nice. Continue. You are a wicked believer because you know the truth and you have failed to tell them the truth. You are a guy. One of your best friends is a roommate. He brings a lady to the hostel. Then the band, if it's double-decker, they cover it with a cloth. Like this. And you're on the other cloth. Then you're here, mm. hear the sound you don't see the image and you are okay see brother you, you are entertaining sin you see you must stop it immediately you must do an all night when they are inside that you, you come 
to the club. Arada, 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 akwadiafia, arada, arada. Let's see if they can enjoy it. Let's see if they can enjoy it. Let's see. Then you lift up your hands. We give you glory, Lord, as we honor you. You see, you sing any song that can make them uncomfortable on the bed. Before I realize the chicken will start reducing. <laughs> the shaking will start reducing. Before I realize the lady said, Mm-mm, I don't like it. How can somebody speak in tongues when you are doing this before God? No, no. We say, Oh, 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 don't mind him. He's just my friend. No, I can't mind. This is God, though. This is God. Before I realize the thing is coming now. I do Jesus is ministering to you. Guys, a challenge. You know, force. You know, force. You know, force. Charlie, see, I love you. I love you. You can't continue like. I can't leave you like this. I can't leave you. I love you. Before you realize, he said, Charlie, Charlie, Charlie. Sort up, our Father. We thank you. <laughs> you won't entertain it. Listen, you see, on for, some of you Christians, eh, people can talk to you about sin and they don't feel anything wrong with it. You belong to a WhatsApp group. They, put, they post only sex videos there. And when they post it, they say, what? New alert. <laughs> there is one group, I don't want to mention a group. I'm so, I, I, when I opt out, it will be some way. I muted them for one year. Because I saw that the activity going on there, I don't associate with it. When you don't partake in it, they'll realize your stand. See, let people know your stand. Don't be behaving as if you are here and you are there. Let them know you are Christian. You know, there are some of you, you pretend as if you are for Jesus. When in another environment, then you activate. You say, what, what are you who transformer? You, you're able to transform. You move here. You move here today. So that they will say that you are grieve. Jesus is waiting for you, heaven. I'm telling you. See, let people know your stand. Let them know what you believe. See, be, see, if you are the light, you must shine. Don't be a dark light. You are afraid. What would they say about me? See, there are some people, when you rebuke them, they'll be angry with you. Those people, just know your limit and cut off yourself. Because the Bible says something. I, I wish I read this. That's the last scripture then. I continue next week. Look, look. Um, Proverbs chapter 9, the verse 7 in NLT. Look. He says, anyone who rebukes a mocker will get an insult in return. Anyone who corrects a wicked will get hurt. So he's giving us wisdom. There are some people don't correct them. Stay away from them. Look at the next verse. He said, so don't bother correcting mockers. They will only hate you. But correct the wise and they will love you. Look at the next verse. 
It says, instruct the wise and they will even be wiser. Teach the righteous and they will learn even more. So there are people we speak to them. You know their heart and there are people we don't because you feel sorry for yourself. In your office, there are some mafia systems that they have made. Don't try to go and destroy the system by saying, I'm fighting it because... I, no, there are, some, there are some systems that are so mafical that you have to redraw. You, you don't engage in those mafia systems, but you don't try to go and confront it because the people will not listen and they'll frustrate you. I'm telling you, there are some companies, government companies, the kind of things that they are doing there. If you try it, you'll be in trouble. Don't bother yourself to go and fight the system because the system was there before you came. You can't change it. Who be you? But you can draw your line on that system. That system will not influence you like Daniel. He was in Babylon, but Babylon was not in him. That's it. I'm done. Today we want to close exactly at 11.30. I want us to pray for five minutes. We take our offerings and we, we close. I want you to pray. Close your eyes. I want you to pray this prayer. And seriously, I want you to mean it. Mean this prayer. You are praying that God, please, whatever grieves you, let it grieve me. I want to experience your experience. Lord, let your word have its way in my heart. Pray this prayer in a minute. That God, make me so sensitive to your word that the moment you rebuke me through a preacher or through your spirit or through my Bible meditations, I will listen to your voice. The Bible says rebuke a scorner and he will hurt you. Rebuke a wise man and he will thank you and even be more wiser. The Holy Ghost may have rebuked you in some area of your life that needs straightening. No wonder the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the verse 15. It says, All scripture is given by the inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for conviction, for correction. So God's word comes to correct you, it doesn't always come to motivate you. It doesn't always come to empower you. It doesn't always come to build faith. It also comes to rebuke you. If God is speaking to you, the Bible says, do not harden your heart. Talk to Jesus from the genuineness of your heart. Nobody's listening to your prayer. You can pray within your heart whilst you are praying. In your heart, acknowledge and tell Jesus, the Lord, this habit and this attitude doesn't bring glory to you. This quick temper, this irritation, has always displeased you because it ends up destroying my relationship with others. This bitterness is not doing any better in my life. This envy, where I want what people have. I realize the Lord is, is, is affecting me now. Talk to, talk to Jesus. This cheekiness has destroyed relationships. This unforgiveness this last is affecting me in so many ways. Lord, the teaching of your word have come to me. And Lord, I hold on to it. I change my understanding and I grieve this action. I don't like it anymore, Lord.
Until you begin to grieve it, you don't mean it. Until you begin to mourn it, you don't mean it. You know you are the righteousness of God. You know you are eternally saved. But now you are growing into responsibility and accountability consciousness. You are not just Christ conscious. You have moved to be accountable. You have moved to be responsible with your actions. Because you now know that true freedom is responsibility. And you are telling Jesus the Lord. I'm going to walk in your word. But I know I can't do it without you. Jesus help me. 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 Mean what you're saying. Jesus help me. Jesus help me. Help me Jesus. Help me know your way Jesus. Teach me to be responsible. Teach me to be sensitive to your word Jesus. Come on, lift your voice and pray. You have some few minutes more. Lift your voice and pray.